Welcome to another Salukapur's podcast. Location changed, but the topic has not changed. We are continuing our series on American elections. One of the most consequential elections, in my opinion, in the recent times. And who else could be invited but none other than a political scientist herself, Professor Nadia Brown. Uh, is it Dr. Nadia Brown, ma'am? Uh, are, you, are you done with your PhD? Yes, I am. I got my PhD 10 years ago. Excellent. So Dr. Nadia Brown is who we have here. And uh, Dr. Nadia, please tell us why we should not believe the fake news on Fox and listen to you and your opinions. And in a funny way, I'm just asking <laughs> you to introduce yourself in a way. <laughs> sure, sure. So um, as Ajit mentioned, I'm Nadia Brown. I received my PhD in 2010 from Rutgers University, where my specialty is American politics. I specifically focus on Black women elected officials. I've published numerous books and awards and have been recognized as a leading scholar in Black women's politics. And in um, a couple of months, I will be a full professor. So I have ascended the ranks in the academy, um, which demonstrates that I am an expert in, in this topic. Yes, and it also demonstrates why you have not been invited to Fox News so far. Just kidding. <laughs> Who needs experts on Fox News? Anyways, uh, enough with the uh, beginning of the Fox News. Ma'am, let me tell you, uh, before uh, I get started, right, uh, uh, I, I was very adamant to invite uh, someone uh, from an Afro-American community to talk on politics because I, I always felt that two things, right? For, for first thing is like always felt that, you know, African-Americans are only invited to talk uh, in the media only when there is an issue, you know, only when there is a, a, a some George Floyd kind of incident, right? So why can't we, it, it's like, and then you're forgotten on, on the media space, right? So I'm like, right. why can't we just invite folks from this community and talk about something like climate change or political, uh, you know, equations of the US elections or capitalism or, or stuff like that, right? Why can't we have normal conversations? That was number one. Uh, number two was uh, what I realized was I just woke up to this weird realization that all my favorite political analysts are all men all right my entire my entire twitter feed is filled with the political analysts who are all men mostly white right uh, when when it comes to american and it kind of reflected on my own uh, ignorance and my own laziness in in a way right i have to admit it very frankly uh, that I, I had no time or interest or not the, you know, uh, awareness to, you know, have a different point of view from all, all people from all genders and races and so on, right? So uh, finding you took a long, long time. So here's what I did, right? So there is, I, I found you on something called uh, knowyourwoman.com, uh, women, sorry, womennostuff.com. Yes. Women right. also know stuff. Yes. Women also know stuff.com. So folks, if you're, if you are uh, willing to uh, invite more uh, uh, women experts to talk about stuff, you know, any random stuff, that is the place you go. And that is the place I found Dr. Nadia Brown, who's on her way to be a professor. And uh, my apologies. Uh, this is, uh, and, and again, I only, I have what, 30 episodes on the podcast and she's like fourth or fifth woman again. Um, I'm really ashamed of that statistic and I do my best to correct that. But uh, uh, Nadia, do you understand? Well, Ajit, can I jump in for a second and just kind of yes. explain women also know stuff? Yes. Yeah. So I am a co-founder of Rome. We call ourselves uh, founding mothers of the editorial boards. I'm one of the first um, members of this Women Also Know Stuff initiative. It was started in 2016 uh, by my colleague, Samara Klar, 
in Arizona who realized that as Hillary Clinton was running for office, um, we're having this, you know, brickshed moment in American politics that around gender, that all the experts, like you said, right, were being asked to talk about this were, were men. And Samara created this um, pretty basic crowdsourced website that said, women, we know stuff. Why aren't the, you know, why aren't the media and why aren't other people in the profession and the discipline coming to us as experts who study this kind of work? So, um, so that's how Women Also Know Stuff got founded, and then we've expanded out. Um, we now have this Twitter um, Twitter handle. If you don't follow us, it's Women Also Know. I do. Women Also Know it on Twitter, and our website is WomenAlsoKnowStuff.com. Sign up. Uh, we are particularly looking for more women experts. Um, yes. Particularly in political science, there's been a lot of spinoffs of, um, of women also know this, women also know history, women also know journalism, right? Um, people yeah. of color also know. Yeah. But we specifically do um, political science and we're always looking for more women of color to sign up and, and also international women to yes. sign up. So if you are a PhD or, or a PhD program and are willing to put yourself out there as saying, I know something, which you, always do we would be honored for you to join our website lovely and and did they did i make any sense what i was trying to tell yes yes you did um because you're not alone right so what one of the things women also know uh, fights back against is mammals what we call panels that academics put together but it's all men so we call those mammals um and it's you know you're just in your network it's sometimes explicit and implicit bias that people hold where you just rely on folks that you know and you ask other folks that you know, do they know other people that would serve yeah. in a role? And this unfortunately um, serves to block out people of color, um, women, people from marginalized groups if you're just looking within this kind of network, um, your network bias. Right, and it's like um, when I was Googling about, uh, you know, finding some uh, women experts on political stuff, there was one uh, Vox article where it says six political scientists measure the chances of US elections. And there was an article that was criticizing the Vox article. It was like, why are all the six political scientists white men? <laughs> Do you remember what I'm yes. talking about? So yeah, that, yes. that was that was yes. very funny when when I uh, when I was going through it and kind of I kind of reflected myself um, uh, looking at that. Uh, it was a, it was my own reflection. But nevertheless, welcome to the podcast. Uh, properly forgot to totally forgot to welcome you on the podcast. This is Solo Covers. Uh, we are talking about all things U.S. elections. Um, I have a very generic and very uh, simple question: What's going on? And it, it, this is going to be I, like me as an Indian who's not an American. I'm just grabbing my drink, grabbing my popcorn, and just watching the watching the world burn in, in a sense, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, yes. So um, so what's going on is I think um, it's kind of, you know, kind of move outward, right? Instead of just mm. having this kind of insular view from, from 2020 is that American institutions have been under attack for decades. And what we're seeing now is the confluence of these things uh, com coming to a head, right? So uh, the Republican Party, this growing influence of libertarians and uh, a distrust of government and traditional institutions, um, also right in relationship with racism, you know, xenophobia, sexism have given rise to uh, Trump and his base and the ease of which this kind of populist movement was able to take place in the United States because it's been happening 
for decades, right? Um, kind of uh, stoking the flames of, um, of government mistrust or thinking the government is um, out of step with kind of advancing the needs or the issues of most Americans. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't have been a surprise um, if we're using our historical lens to see this come after the first election of the, the black, a black president, right, Barack Obama. And yeah, so it's like if you if you are a student of American political history, there is always regression, and this kind of populist movement has um, been in the wings for for a long time. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, what's going on is I think most aptly put by Joe Biden, the Democratic nominee, is that he wants to bring America back and remind America of the values and the ideals that so many Americans held or possibly still do hold. And at its core are having these very hard kind of conversations about who do Americans want to be? Who do we want to live up to? And what role will institutions play in this? So that's like a very large meta-analysis of how we got here and what's happening. And very simply put, we have right less than 10 days to figure out or start to figure out, right, what, what this will look like going forward. The polls show that Donald Trump is behind, that Biden is picking up states that were once considered all, you know, pretty solidly red that are now turning purplish and might actually flip to the Democratic side. But we're also, right, still witnessing, um, you know, a boatload of voter suppression and other tactics that the Republicans are using to hold on to power, which looks very reminiscent to like, the 1880s election, right? 1870, um, 1876, uh-huh. yeah, 1876, 1880, right? These elections look eerily similar. What's happened is the parties have switched. So mm. the tactics that Democrats were using um, a century ago are now it just reminds us of the old adage, nothing new is under the sun. Uh, you, you speak of tactics, right? So please, please educate us about all the tactics uh, that, uh, that, that uh, especially Republicans use to uh, suppress the colored vote, in a sense. Sure. So uh, um, a, few, a few things I know is uh, they, they arrest way too many people and the felons can't vote. That is one thing I know. But you know more. Please go on. Yes. No, that, that's a great part to start with. Um, so felon laws started off as racist, right, for racist, yeah. for, for racist purposes. I, I have, um, and so that, that kind of connection is often lost because um, I, so I did some archival work for a book I was working on, and I found that in Georgia, there, sorry, not Georgia, in Alabama, there was a state senator who was trying to devise um, plans to keep Black people from voting. And mm. so um, in the 1800s. And what he, what he shared on the floor of the Alabama State House was, we should bar anyone from voting. We should make them a felon, right? This is, and a felony is something that is so egregious that you need to be locked up and kind of thrown outside of the norms of society because you've done something that, that has, um, you know, just shook us, to, shook us to our core. So the state senators devised felony um, codes in the state law books around racist aims. An example of one is a state senator in Alabama who discussed on the state floor that African-Americans were more likely to commit spousal abuse and white Americans were more likely to kill a wife or kill a spouse. And so on the books, you would be a felon if you committed um, violence against your spouse, if you hit them, if you beat them, if you tortured them. But if you killed them, if you killed your wife, you were not a felon. 
And most people today would say, well, killing a wife is something, or committing murder should be a felon, right? Should be a felony. But in 1880s, beating your wife was a felony and killing your wife was not because this was a crime that some, um, you know, whites believed only committed, were only committed by blacks. So felon laws are inherently racism. A racist, right? These laws were devised to figure out what are things that Black people are more likely to do. And let's accuse that. Let, let's make that a class of a felony. Right. And things that white people are more likely to do, or a lawmaker figure are more likely to do, is not a felony. Right. So yes. So that that is one one example of voter suppression. Hmm. Others are very long lines. We've seen that, right? Asking people to stand outside for four or five hours to to vote, and hmm. that is continually defunding the local elective office. So providing, um, you know, closing polling places, not having enough poll workers, having machines that are um, inoperable or sometimes temperamental, mostly in majority minority districts in areas is, is one example. Other examples are voter ID laws, which says that you have to have an ID that um, to vote um, that has your picture ID, has your picture on it and a signature. States have different kinds of IDs, so not every state has a picture or, or a signature. Uh, we know that there's barriers to people that don't have, don't have a driver's license, for example, um, particularly those that are on reservations, um, Native Americans who live on, on reservations. Restricting college students to vote where they live now on campus, as opposed to back home to where their parents are, and saying if they can't go and vote there. These things Taking have been dad. happening for a long time. This is not something new, is what you're saying? Oh yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So this is this has been a, a tactics that have been used for for mm. a very long time. Um, the the hypocrisy of it all is that. Americans are more likely to be struck and killed by lightning than they are to commit voter fraud, right? Systematic studies have shown this over and over again. And so this idea that Republicans are trying to keep fraudulent voters from from the polls is actually inaccurate. Hmm. All those things you have told about uh, felon laws, uh, let me me ask you this. If all the black people in, in especially in red states, were allowed to vote, allowed to register properly, and then allowed to vote. How many of them would flip? Oh yeah, <laughs> that, that's not even. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that there is no question around this, right? Um, those, those states would flip. So allowing um, allowing. So if the state made it easier for people to vote, so getting rid of voter registration, mm. automatically registering votes, um, uh, easing up the. Um, uh, the felony disenfranchisement, allowing people that are imprisoned to vote. Mm. Um, yeah, there, there is no, um, yeah, that, that's no question. Let, let me guess. Even let, allowing. Yeah, let me oh, guess. Right. Texas would flip, Florida forever uh, blue. Yeah. Um, what else, what else, uh, what else do you think? Yeah, so Mississippi, Louisiana, right? These are states mm. with huge numbers of, of black people that are consistently gerrymandered out of political power. Also adding in other locations, right? The District of Columbia, which does not, it's a territory, right? It's not allowed to vote in presidential elections. Hawaii, I mean, Puerto Rico, um, Guam, right? There's other, uh, the US Virgin Islands. These other places that are majority minority that are, um, would be flipped if, the Senate would be flipped if these other places were allowed to vote. 
and and if 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 uh, in order to make that happen what should happen so like uh, um, democrats should occupy some two thirds of the house some, is there a rule what what should re what miracle should happen to make this happen Yes. So um, first, we need to vote in the Senate. So that mm. so the um, the House is consistent has passed um, allowing the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico to have voting rights. Mm. So it just needs to get through the Senate and then to the president's desk and to be signed. So it's not just the House. Democrats right. have the House. Mm. Um, you need the Senate. You need a new you need a new Senate majority leader and a president that's willing to sign this kind of legislation. But what a weird uh, Senate system America has, right? So no offense, but states with a population less than Indian cities have two senators. Like the two states of uh, two senators of Idaho have equal power, like uh, two senators from California, right? Which is which is very weird. Which like disproportionately makes the number of senators from the red states way too much, right? They are representing way too much for way less people. Yes, yes, and. So even taking a step back from that, hmm. the state legislatures um, get to uh, redistrict. They get to decide what le what legislators represent which populations. Wow. And what they've done, if they've drawn legislate, they've drawn legislators for districts as opposed to letting districts and voters decide who the legislators are. So places like uh, the state of Missouri is having this this big fight because the state is as an overwhelming majority Republican, although the the majority, the majority of the voters mm. are much more even, even split. And so these districts continually send Republicans to the state legislature and yeah. to the federal legislature, and they're not competitive. But if the districts were drawn in ways that actually empower voters to decide the, the, you know, the future of their, of their state and their country, it would be a lot more competitive. So you would be representing more people. And sorry to stretch on this uh, uh, voter suppression thing because I believe this is uh, this is one of your uh, interest uh, fields of interest. What is gerrymandering exactly? So what are they doing there exactly? They're redrawing the map in a way that uh, they include all the minority black populated regions as one um, uh, one representative, and they segregate the white uh, populated regions as to four to five representatives so that they get more number of representatives in the house. Is that what is happening? I mean, yep, that's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what's happening, right? So they, they draw, so gerrymandering is, so redistricting is the term that should happen, right? Like the mm -hmm. districts get drawn in ways that reflect the, um, the, the, the geography bounds, mm -hmm. it respects what the constituents need or, or want. Um, and without partisan kind of influence. Yeah. Gerrymandering is this opposite, right? What you described, it's drawing these lines that look, um, you know, that let, look weird and that are, that serve a political purpose. So how we got the name gerrymander is um, from the 1700s where a state, um, where a representative said, what kind of, what kind of line is this? And you know, this doesn't look like anything that happens in nature. What is this? It looks like a salamander. And um, Representative Jerry laughed and said, no, it's a gerrymander. And that's how we got this term, right? Because it was the lines were um, distinctly drawn in a way that looked so crazy. Like we're gonna draw around a mailbox, across the street, and then we'll put these two people in the district and not the neighbors around, right? It's just picking up all the black spots. And that, that's what's um, in court most frequently. And these things have been happening for a long time. Now add that, add to that uh, pandemic. All right. So there is there, there is restrictions for people to gather at one place. Now people are voting through mails, and because of that, uh, 
on and uh, in places like texas right they're shutting down police station uh, pole stations so that one city has like one pole station it's something like that so what other difficulties are, are, is this covid situation bringing in exactly yeah so you you mentioned right shutting down these polling places that was actually done before covid so oh. that's not unfortunately a covid a covid excuse right um but um right not having enough poll workers and mostly mm. in, in the united states poll workers tend to be retirees mm. people that are vulnerable populations uh over 65 mm. are people that are most likely to sign up to mm. be poll uh, poll poll workers Right. And they're not coming out now. Um, so now there's a push to get 16, 17 year olds, 18 year olds to, to mm. be poll watch, poll workers. Also, right, the, the kind of, um, you need PPE, you need personal protection equipment yes. to be a poll watcher now, poll, poll worker, sanitizing, masks. We just don't, we don't have those things in the U.S., right? Like right. that's, that's a big problem. So, um, so yeah, these, these are slowing down which was already a bad situation. Mm. Do you think the voter turnout percentage will go down this year or will it remain the same? Because if it goes down, it helps Trump. If it goes up, it helps Biden. So w which way do you uh, see this going, including the mail ballots? So already so we've seen, yes. So, mm. so, yeah, so you mentioned, right, we've already seen more people that have come out to vote early and mail-in ballots have skyrocketed, right? In some places, right. Uh, two weeks before the election, they've had more people voting than they did in the entire general election cycle um, wow. in 2016 and 2018. So people are highly motivated to vote. Um, what numbers have shown is that the early, early voters hmm. um, in some counties were Democrats. Hmm. And now, um, now it's kind of evening out in some places where Republicans are also voting early. But this is... Um, like you said, like a lot of this is a Trump factor, right? Trump has repeatedly said that mailing voting is fraudulent. He said that early voting, um, you know, does it's no good. You don't need to do it, but polls will be safe. And so many experts are expecting that Trump's um, supporters will turn out on November 3rd. Hmm. So let's, let's remind the viewers that November 3rd is not the polling day. It's the last day of polling. Right? Polling yes. is yeah. a so continuing process. Yeah. Right. And what guns is... Trump sharpening, you know, in case he loses. So uh, I believe he's stacking up some um, uh, Supreme Court. There's some Supreme Court nominee that he's going to stack up and he's going to sue the election process itself or something like that. He's going to discredit the uh, the result itself, right? He's going to discredit the uh, mail votes, email, uh, like uh, votes through mail. So what to tell us about the guns that he's sharpening, uh, you know, because it's not going to end on November 3rd, right? It's not going to be a straightforward result. I, I don't see that happening. I, I'm sure you you feel the same too. Yes, yeah. No, we won't, we won't know. I don't believe that we'll know the, um, the outcome on the election night on November 3rd. Mm. The only way that will happen is if it is overwhelming, um, you know, there's no, there's no path to victory. Mm. I don't know if, if we'll see that. Mm. But um, so yeah, so Trump has already called into question. He's been doing this for years now, saying that uh, mail-in voting is is fraudulent. Uh, however, he and his wife vote by mail, right? So this is another point of hypocrisy. Mm. Um, the part that I'm most worried about is election violence. So he's already primed his uh, his supporters to show up at the polls to try to crowd voice. Uh, 
Yes, yeah, the Proud Boys, right? Right, these white supremacists. Yeah. To and and this again is is American history, right? <laughs> there there are um, noted examples of the Ku Klux Klan and mm. other white vigilante groups standing outside of polling places and intimidating voters, right? Asking them to um, you know just to to do things that white Americans are not asked to do at the polls, and then are showing up with guns and, mm. and other kind of fear tactics. So this is again nothing new under the sun. But um, but what's scary about this is that we've already seen people's willingness to act. So in Minnesota, right, we saw the the white team that drew that drew from Illinois to Kenosha to um, to shoot people in, yes. in the crowd of protesters. Yes, and the response was not damning from the president nor from Republicans. Right, instead mm. the blame was, well, why aren't you know why why is the president why why should um, the president allow protests to happen? Right, that and there's mm. this fraudulent fraudulent connection between. Um, violence and protesting when actually 93% of all racial race, um, racial justice protests in the nation have been extremely civil and yes. peaceful. Um, so I'm, I mean, I'm most personally scared about that. Yeah. And uh, hope you don't live in a state where uh, guns are available like candy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I live in Indiana. So nope, not great. Oh, <laughs> oh, anyways, <laughs> no, you'll be all right. Uh, um, uh, you you speak of violence. You what uh, you speak of well, what is at stake that both parties are so desperate to uh, you know hold on to power? Really, I mean, well, why is this going to be one of the most bloodiest elections to be ever fought? Right? I mean, I don't remember uh, 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 American elections to be the scary experience in the past. Right? I mean, even when George Bush was elected and re-elected, I mean, you you're not really scared about what's going to happen. The, the anxiety, right? The surrounding this election is something else. So what what is really contributing to it? And why are people so clinging, especially from the Republican side? Trump badly wants to cling on to power, right? Yeah, so you're right. This is this is different. In the past, mm. we have always disagreed about policy and we've disagreed about um, the, the effects of um, what the policies would do to yeah. marginalized communities. That has always, always been the case. What's different now is these are these power grabs that are eroding away at our constitutional liberties. And what is made even more apparent in this Trump administration is that most of what we have come to expect as Americans are really these norms and gentlemen's agreements, right? So there's yes. nothing in the Constitution that outlines what to do if we have a president who doesn't leave office. Because we have, we have, you know, for since 1789, we have had a, a government that has acquiesced power. That's one of the things that has separated the United States from other developing democracies. And this is the first time that we ever had a president to say these things, and we don't have a Republican Party that's going to stand up for, um, yeah. yeah, stand up to this, right? Mm. And we have you know, militias that have already, or white, right-wing extremists, like we mm. see, tr you know, trying to kidnap the governor, kidnap and yes. torture and kill, right, the governor. Was that, was uh, that Michigan? Michigan. And wow. then also another threat came out in Virginia. Mm. And not much is, you know, much, uh, much is not being, coming down from the national government to say that these things are wrong. So yeah, this is a completely different, completely different scenario. 
Wow. Um, I, I remember, I remember uh, my anxiety levels back in 2016 when I was watching the 2016 presidential elections because I was hoping to immigrate to US and these elections had some consequence in my personal life. And then I watched Michigan fall, Wisconsin fall, and I just lost my mind. And this yeah. election, uh, yo, this election, I'm going to grab some pills. I don't know. I'm just joking. Uh, it's <laughs> illegal in India. But um, uh, let, let's shift to uh, the chances of Biden, right? So before we discuss about Biden, Tell us, tell me, what does it mean to have Kamala Harris as the vice president's choice? Yeah, so this is a super huge thing, right? It's the first multi-ethnic black woman uh, to serve on the on a major presidential party ticket. Mm. It's historical, um, right? As the part, daughter, part Indian, uh, ma'am, part Indian. Yes, yes. I was gonna say, as a, as a daughter of a South Indian um, yes. immigrant mother and a Jamaican father. I'm a South father. Indian too. Yes. Yes, her, like this, her, her this, father. Her father came. Funnily, her father comes from a place called Chennai, which is like three-hour drive from my hometown down here in South oh. India. Yeah, go on. Yes, yes. So this this is huge, right? And yes. um, and particularly right for immigrants here in the United States that see a lot of her family's background and story reminiscent of their own, hmm. and she's out. She's able to reach out to these communities of Democratic Party. Uh, takes for granted quite literally, right? That they right. they just assume will vote for her, but now they actually have representation. So, and someone who looks like them that is able to say, "I understand your story. I know where you're from. I know your work ethic. I know the things that you fear. I know the things that you have come to America to do. And if you elect me, I will bring some of that with me into the White House." Mm-hmm. So, um, and then for women, right? This is huge um, at this election. Many feminists were deeply disappointed that uh, the you know, the Democratic nominee would be an older. And, you know, after so many women, you know, the biggest number of women running for um, the presidential nominee in yeah. history um, mm. for a major party and to end up with Joe Biden, right? Yeah. So I think that the, the Biden campaign was really, really smart to pick her. He, Biden has, you know, to be honest, right, an embarrassment of riches. He could have chosen several very yeah. smart, capable politically astute women, but I think Kamala Harris was the right choice for this time, mm-hmm. given, you know, given her, you know, her own background as a moderate who has a little progressive tendencies, but mostly, right, she's a moderate. Yeah. She, again, like, is, this, is this multi-ethnic woman um, in the summer of racial reckoning, right, when we're, the, the nation is dealing with Black Lives Matter, um, I think in a much more, um, kind of a future space where we could think about and we can imagine what the future might look like if we centered conversations around Black Lives Matter. And right there, there's just this push from the feminist movements, right? And, yeah. and women's, women's organizations who really want to um, see representation. So she, yeah, again, she was, she was a perfect choice for this time. Let me tell you the joy of representation when I watched uh, Kamala Harris and Mindy Kaling cooking my favorite South Indian oh, yes. is dosa. I was uh, I was just melting. Um, that was wonderful to watch. Uh, let me uh, further that question. Why did it take almost? Uh, when did you get your independence? Seventeen seventy six. So how many years it's been? So uh, uh, two, three hundred, three hundred plus years to have a woman uh, vice president. You never had a woman vice president nor a president. Why? I mean, UK had one, India had one, Bangladesh yeah. had one. Uh, these are the top countries I know are on the top of my mind, Germany. Yes. What, what, why, why not US? 
sexism, <laughs> um, okay. right? The, the U.S. <laughs> the U.S. Um, has. I mean, uh, uh, so very sorry to interrupt. I mean, it's not like yeah. we, our places are uh, uh, come, have come down from heaven and we are uh, totally whitewashed from sexism. We are we are we are equally sexist. What is yeah. weird about America is my question. Yeah, so I think, well, some of, so some of the countries that you named mm. have quotas, right? Gender quotas. Um, United mm. States does not. Um, the other countries that, that you also mentioned have done, the government has done to be more intentional of including women, right? Whether it is through quotas or not, right? But then you, you have seen women as political leaders in ways that we just haven't, right? In the United States, there have been very few women governors, women mm. senators. Mm. Uh, these are the, usually the, the path stones to, to, um, to the executive branch. Particularly in the United States, we've, ne we've never even had a black woman governor. There's only been two black women senators. Kamala Harris is one of them, right? So wow. um, representation matters. And the United States, unfortunately in the work that I do, shows that Americans still hold these very gender socialization norms of what we think women are good at and what women can do. Mm. And seeing women in top executive leadership positions is something that most Americans um, say that they would like, but in actuality, don't follow up with. Right. Uh, and uh, what what would it take to break that ceiling, right? I mean, last, last, last time, Hillary Clinton had one of the most perfect chances. And in my opinion, she, uh, she lost it because of her own overconfidence or something like that. And I don't think we had any women nominees before that election. Women, uh, she, she, she competed against what? Barack Obama, right? Again, yeah. Hillary Clinton is again from a powerhouse, right? So, I mean, there are more men politicians that come from ground up than women, right? So it's like only recently we have seen someone like uh, AOC, Ilhan Omar, and and do you think uh, uh, this is uh, the upcoming decade belongs to the women in politics in US? Is is this finally it? Oh, I hope so. Like from mm. your lips to God's ears. Yes, I hope so. Um, I think that um, yeah. So I'm I'm super hard. And this year is the year of the Black Women candidate. There's more Black women running for office than ever before, mm. and doing so from lots of different vantage points, um, from as Republicans, as Libertarians, as Democrats, as left. Right. Um, so, um, so yes, I, I really, really hope so. The and the thing that makes me feel more personally gratified in doing this work, I started doing this research in 2008 on Black women, and I was able to kind of interchange um, Black women, and my respondents would be like, "Oh, sure, I don't know," like as this hypothetical Black woman candidate. And now I'm really seeing are that um, Black women, people know who they are, right? Yeah. People know their politics and policies, and are voting for them as educated voters. We're no longer like low information cues. So it's becoming, I think, closer and closer into the American psyche. And my hope is that, you know, when I do this research into the future, 10 years from now, if I, you know, we're able to talk again, they'll ask me the same question and I can share. Um, I think we've come a long way. Right. Uh, and, and, and talk about this weird expectation from women, uh, from people, right? That women politicians have to be some, so, so they have to be this perfect politicians and, and they, they are judged against what a higher moral scale than men are judged, right? As it's as if uh, it's a, one imperfect yeah. uh, thing that a woman politician does is like, this is exactly why we don't want them. So, but that is, that, that is weird, right? So, I mean, who said women can't be bad politicians, right? The point is, have them in the first place yes right and, and it's like right. come on who there are many bad women but i mean take margaret thatcher right she she was uh, she was very hard with the, her austerity in uk 
push people into poverty indira gandhi in in our country i hope i don't get get arrested for this particular uh, fact but yeah she was a freaking <laughs> tyrant right she pushed the country into emergency i mean what what explain about this weird uh, uh, moral expectations from a woman politician uh, and i'm sure it, it it's the same in india and i'm sure it's the same in us it's my bet yeah, so people, people, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, and I think what allowed those two leaders that you gave examples to push the country in these ways is because it was so antithetical to what people expected them to do, right, mm -hmm. as women. So we hold these very gendered stereotypes that say women will come in and they'll be, because they're moms, they'll be nurturers, right? Because they're wives, they'll take care of the country, they would take care of the family. And no, <laughs> right, like this, this one-size-fits-all model of women, you know, are the ones that give hugs and bake cookies and will do the same thing in government is just wrong, right? Like yeah. women, like any other group of people, um, are people, right? And they have, yeah. you know, political, they have policy preferences, they have different styles and techniques, and they have different ideological views. And, um, but unfortunately, right, we still have this very gendered socialization that we think, you know, all women want to do are be, you know, the, these warm, nurturing, you know, folks. And it's like, nah, like that, that's not it. Right. And, and, and this is exactly why I, I kind of made sense when some people said, like, I would like a woman president, but not Hillary Clinton. Right. It's like she is also she was also a pretty warmongering kind of a politician. Right. Let's be honest. Right. So yeah. I, I, and some people yes. made uh, told that, yeah, she's not perfect. And but because uh, because of that, we don't want that. And that is also a fair argument that right? you're allowed to be imperfect. It's, it's that's what I'm saying. Right. Yes. And that, but the thing is that I loved is that people knew Hillary Clinton for who she is, right? Mm. So it's not this apathetical woman. They're like, they're actually voting against Hillary mm. Clinton, the same way that people would have voted against Bill Clinton, right? Or, right. or any other person they get, they get the chance to know. Right. And so Hillary Clinton was not my choice, right? Mm. But I would have been, like you said, like thrilled to have a woman president. Um, but that's that's the trade-off right like i want the right. right woman candidate i want the right black candidate mm. i don't i'm not voting for um person because they share my my mm. um what i look like right my phenotypical characteristics mm. or my my experiences in the world mm. i'm voting for someone who has the best policy policies that line up with me and my community and hillary clinton right is someone i held my nose and voted for she is not the person that I thought had the best interest for my community at heart, yeah. but she damn sure was better than Donald Trump, right? right? And so like, if you're giving those two, those two kind of pragmatic um, views, that's how people, most people voted. But it's not to say that Hillary Clinton was the person everybody wanted. Right. Um, uh, let's talk about uh, black voter participation in this elections, because uh, let's be fair, uh, black people did not turn up in the last election as much as they did when Obama was running. If, is, that, is that a fair thing, to, fair thing to say? And what prevented them from like, turning up in the last election? And what do you think is going to happen now? So we're going to turn out. Please, I think we're going to see Please correct me if I'm wrong about the 2016 numbers. Yeah, so the 2016 numbers, no, that's true. Blacks did not turn out as much as they turned out for Obama in 08 and 2012. Mm. Many people stay home. Hillary Clinton did not do a good job of mobilizing Black voters. Mm. Um, and that was the first time in 20 years that we actually saw a drop off in Black, um, black voting. Mm -hmm. But um, so what we've seen this far is that Blacks have already done more voting, um, early voting, and are doing absentee ballots. Mm. That uh, many African-Americans believe that this is a pivotal election. So we're seeing that. Mm. Um, I am, you know, I am concerned of what those numbers will look like ultimately, mm. that when we get all the data back, 
because of COVID, right? And the numbers right. of Black folks that are essential workers and numbers of Black folks that have already died of COVID. Mm. Um, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm fearful that if Black voters don't turn out this year, it'll be blamed on not being enthusiastic for Kamala Harris or Joe Biden, yes. as opposed to looking at some of the other f factors that are causing folks not to turn out, which is the pandemic. Yeah, right. Yes. Uh, do, you, do you see any states flipping this time? Do you see, uh, can, can we expect any surprises? Uh, can we expect uh, something, uh, something out of the box, out of the blue? So I do think that we'll see um, some states that Joe Biden, that somebody that Barack Obama won, mm. go back to the Democrats um, mm. that went to to um, yes, Trump in 2016. Yes. So, right. so I think like what we're probably going to see Pennsylvania flip. Mm. Um, Texas will be a lot closer. I really? think that some of the yeah, I think so. I think some of the upper Midwest states like Wisconsin, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. um, we'll have a fighting chance. There's also states like Iowa that might pick up. Um, the biggest one that we're all watching is South Carolina. I don't think South Carolina will necessarily vote for um, Joe Biden, but I think Lindsey Graham might be out and Jamie Harrison might be in. Mm -hmm. So, um, so there are a lot of other interesting things that are happening. And, and talk about Minnesota, right? Minnesota is this bastion of blue power, right? The Democrat, uh, Democratic pillar, right? So why is that flipping all of a sudden? Why is that in muddy waters? Yeah, so first we're seeing a lot of Black people um, become more politically engaged and active. There's a, there's a big number of Black women that are running from, um, from Minnesota that we hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. um, think that Trump's policies around um, you know, around farming and tariffs and, and the big war of China is not helping his traditional farmer base. Right. Um, there's also concerns around environmentalism and logging and some of like these more agricultural concerns that the Trump administration made a lot of big agricultural and manufacturing promises mm -hmm. that, um, you know, and honest, we're, we're kind of short-sighted, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so we're not able to deliver um, as best as he could. Right. I think that people are still holding on and are not recognizing that he has... Um, you know, try to balance out some of these, like these trade imbalances, but with a heavy handed approach, not this kind of measured, you know, understanding the nuances of trade policy yeah. that might have some long-term implications down the road. He's saying, he's saying, is he saying stuff like uh, clean coal and stuff like that? The silly stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yes. Because that, that is one of the most hilarious uh, promises that I've ever heard. Uh, and, uh, I, I, I cannot let you go without talking about uh, Bernie Sanders, because if I was an American, I would have uh, held my flag up for Bernie Sanders. And and please tell me, uh, uh, and I've asked this to multiple people, what went wrong? And especially in the South, right, when, when, when the Democratic, uh, what was that, uh, primaries were going on, the entire South unanimously voted for Biden. So what's What's the deal there? Yeah, so the deal is that Black voters are pragmatists, right? Mm -hmm. They're looking at who will white voters vote for. And so Black mm. people have been kind of the bellwether to say, um, you know, we know white people, <laughs> we know white people, because it's a survival tactic, right? Like, if you're an oppressed group, you need to know the minds of the oppressor to be able to survive. Mm. Mm. And Black voters are saying, I like a lot of things that particularly some of the social things that the progressives are talking about, mm. but it's not gonna fly for many whites. And mm. I wanna align myself with a winner, someone that we mm. think will win. 
And that's right. what happened, um, particularly mm. in South Carolina. And, right. you know, even looking at the leadership of James Clyburn, right, like that's, you know, that's in line with, with this kind of mentality. Right. But I agree, like I was in 2016, I, I supported Bernie Sanders. I still have my Bernie Sanders, um, uh, you know, flag and, mm. and pendants up. In 2020, I was more enthusiastic about Elizabeth Warren, mm. but when it comes down to it, right, it's who, who is going to win and yeah. who do we think the rest of the America population would like to, to win? So, um, yeah, so that, that's how this turned out. I think Bernie Sanders has single-handedly helped to shift the conversation um, mm. and pull Democratic Party more to the left. Mm. And um, because the Democratic Party, since Bill Clinton has been inching to the center and center right. Yes. And what we've seen since Sanders and you know, the squad and others are really reinstituting leftist politics and policies and mm. helping us to rethink, right? helping America to rethink. Mm. What does it look like if you have more polls, right? Like if you have different options, if there's different kind of political conversations um, yeah. that are happening that propose different policy solutions, mm. as opposed to playing it so close to the middle where it's different, it's difficult to tell how either party differs, it, with the exception of big issues like abortion, yeah. um, right? like those, those are like in guns. But like, but to have, you know, polls that are showing, hey, we have big differences on other policies. And I think it's been good for, for American democracy. I think what he, what Sanders did was like, uh, he reminded us that when was the last time we had a poll on uh, healthcare? When was the last time we had a poll on less money in politics? This, these are the new topics that he bought into the mainstream uh, of American politics is what uh, he did, I believe. Uh, yes. Uh, and, and don't you think, you said he's not winnable. Don't you think if it was Trump versus uh, uh, Sanders, uh, don't you think Sanders would uh, like kind of pull off over Trump? little better than no, Biden I'm not, I'm not certain. I do really? think that Sanders, like there were people that voted for Sanders in the primary and that voted for, for Trump in the general. Wow. Um, and I think that kind of, yeah, that populist, so really what it spoke to was America's want or desire for um, mm. you know, social change, right? This, yeah. this big structural kind of change and having this populist movement. Um, and those voters are harder to kind of pin down, right? Mm. Uh, it's different, it's difficult to say, you know, what it would have been and kind of what the parties would have done mm. um, at, at that particular moment. Right. Last topic, ma'am, here's the thing, okay? Every single poll that I look at in the American news says Biden is doing better than Trump, but why should I believe polls, right? I believed in polls and Brexit happened. I believed in polls and Australians won the election. I believed in polls and um, uh, uh, Boris Johnson won in a landslide. And of course, yeah. how can we not forget about the Trump's win when the overwhelming amount of polls said Hillary Clinton is going to walk all over, but the reverse happened, right? So yeah. A, why should we believe in polls right now? What makes them accurate and better than what they were? And, and who, do you, who do you think you're going to bet your money on? Yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't trust polling at this point. Um, and I'm a political scientist. Right. <laughs> now, granted, I'm not, I'm not, I don't study public opinion and I'm not, I'm not a pollster. Mm. But, you know, those examples that you gave, um, you know, they just indicate how problematic polling is. My understanding or my, you know, my professional, uh, you know, critique is that there is a lot of social desirability happening, right? When people know the right thing to say, and then they do something else when they get behind, right, mm. those curtains and, and make their decision when no one else is looking. 
And it's particularly, right, it's, it's really unpopular to say I support someone who's openly racist, xenophobic, and sexist. Mm. Um, and so those that say that, um, I think are fewer than those who actually support him and support mm. some of these ideas, but don't have, um, yeah, but don't have, yeah, but but then don't want what, to. There are, you want to say there are more, there are way more silent supporters that the polls are not capturing. Yes, yes. And I, and I think that there's, people are lying. I mean, people are lying. I just want to say that flat out, right? I think oh, people, please, people are yes. lying. Not telling yep. Yeah, I don't think they're telling the truth. Right. So, so yeah, that's my thought. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually scared. Um, I woke up two nights ago with a dream that Trump won, and it was very scary. Um, okay. So in India, I'm, I'm in India, scared. in India, I'm sorry. In India, there's a thing. Uh, if it's a daydream, it comes true. If it's a night dream, you can ignore. So what was it, please? Oh, good. I'm good. I'm glad to hear this. Yeah. So this was <laughs> this was a night dream. Perfect. Yes, I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, it was it was just that that Trump. Uh, you know that we knew at the end of the night that Trump mm. won. Right. Mm. That the votes were coming in and that Trump Trump won, and um, and I just. Yeah, I woke up. I couldn't. I was right. like, "This is a nightmare. I can't do this." So, so good. Right. I will take this adage and <laughs> oh, please keep this in mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe your uh, your vice president Kamala Harris can teach you more about these superstitions from India. Uh, yeah. So, what you're basically saying is, if it's a fair election, Biden will win. If it's not a fair election, Trump will win. Is that a fair thing to say? Yes. Yes. Okay, perfect. On that note, uh, I don't know if that's a positive note or a negative note to end this podcast, but uh, our job is to stay positive. And, and uh, thank you very much, Professor, Dr. Nadia Brown. Thank you very much for your presence. Thank you very much for your time. Your insights have been nothing but uh, 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 informative and deep, and, and especially for folks from India who, who, who just look at the election from the outside. Thank you for just taking it taking us in and i hope our uh, viewers felt the same through this podcast in uh, uh, any parting words for people who are looking at the u.s elections around the world what would you like to say <laughs> well first thank you for having me najeev it's really a pleasure to, to speak with you and your constituents pleasure. um the parting words would be I think that we're, we're all in this together that yeah, I wish I was like sometimes on your end, you know, you know, viewing this, like you said, like having popcorn and, and looking on. Um, but I, but I want to remind us all that the world is a lot closer. Um, we're, yes. we're not as in these kind of disparate silos and that things that affect, um, you know, affect you and your listeners affect me and you know, the people that I work with. And so I, I want to believe in a shared humanity. I want to believe that we are closer than farther yeah. apart. And, you know, in the words of Martin Luther King, I think that the, the long arc of the universe will bend towards justice. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, thank you very much, listeners and viewers who have been watching this podcast for this long. And here are my parting words. Buckle up. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ajeev.